This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Aunt Sam, and you are listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and my favorite baby firstborn, Max. The 50th episode. Welcome to the 50th episode of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 18th. And as always, we're reading your tweets while we do it. So don't forget to tweet us at TwoHeadedNerd on Twitter. My they, name... They can't hear you right now. You know that, right? Matt Baum. And when I'm not trying to explain to my co-host how episode counts work and that our one-year anniversary is not for another two shows... January 16th, 2011. That I, was one year plus ago. I'm writing about it at PraisingComicsWordPoint.com. Episode 50. Episode 50. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not stealing Matt's comics to give to some customer at Legend whose pull file I probably screwed up. It's true. I am the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. It's bad management. I blame Dave DeMarco. This week we'll hear reviews of Profit number one and Batman number five. After that, we'll review ten comics faster than Fox can cancel Alcatraz during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where eldritch rituals will allow us to look into the future to discuss two of next week's comics. And finally, the comic pushers will be bouncing down your street in their chrome and gold Delta 88 to suggest some comics for you junky nerds out there. But before we get to all that slanderous gossip, let's fire up the lifeboat just in case this podcast runs aground so we can leave all our fans on the slowly sinking USS Falcor while we hightail <laughs> it out of there. I try you! Then we'll talk about this week's big news. I don't eat children, I'm a luck dragon. (laughs) After two weeks of rampant speculation and fan reaction, DC Entertainment has unveiled their new company logo. The image, which will be used to brand everything from DC comics and graphic novels to video games, movies, and merchandise, was revealed on Thursday by Fast Company, a media and design website. Created in conjunction with Landor Associates, a brand consulting slash design firm, the new logo will appear on DC Entertainment products starting in March. DC described the new emblem in a press release saying, quote, The design of the new DC Entertainment identity uses a peel effect. The D is strategically placed over the C, with the upper right-hand portion of the D peeling back to unveil the hidden C. Strategery. Symbolizing the duality of the iconic characters that are present within DC Entertainment's portfolio. According to the press release... Yeah. Give me a god break. (laughs) According to the press release, the logo is optimized for use with digital platforms and will be animated or customized depending on the need. Several mock-ups were also released showing how the logo will change slightly in design and color scheme from comic to comic. They even had a Watchmen version. Watchmen 2, anyone? (laughs) Now, Matt... When I first saw the Stark grayscale version of the logo last week, I immediately and totally hated it with every fiber of my being. But now that I've seen it in action, I think it might be starting to grow on me. I still hate it with every fiber of my being. Oh. And I know this is the typical total fanboy response. I hate it. I totally hate it. It doesn't look like a comic book company. It looks like they make RAM for PCs now. That I agree with. It It, does not... It's not... I mean, it's sleek and it's very uh, slick design, but it doesn't say comics. It says cars. Yeah, it just sucks, man. Or, yeah. I I don't know. I hate it. It's too slick. 
It's, and there's nothing wrong with the DC logo that we had. Nothing. And, and I'll tell you, I'm just day, starting to not hate that one. <laughs> see, I never disliked that one. Back in the day when they put out the new one, I I loved it. I knew it was a big change. People freaked out. I thought it was really cool. It says comics to me. It says superheroes. This one says tech solutions. You know, I don't know what the it's crap true. this is. It's true. It's true. I, I don't like it. It's not going to grow on me. But, I mean, to look at them, you can see where, you know, if it's going to be on Green Lantern... It'll have a green D and a glowing C, or the C might have sparks coming off of it, care. or it might have it might look like steel. The way they've changed it up and shown how it's going to be put into practice, I can kind of see it. And it's not even that this is a bad logo. It's just not a good comic book company logo. I hate it. It's just too stark, too slick. I don't like it. I nothing beats the DC bullet from that started in. The oh, 70s. I agree. That was still the best. In other DC news, the company has announced that button-flied artist Rob Liefeld's role in the new 52 will be expanded by a whopping three titles beating in May. No, stop. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Say the following. Liefeld. Liefeld, whatever. Liefeld. Liefeld. L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Liefeld. Whatever. Liefeld will be writing and illustrating <laughs> Deathstroke and plotting Griffith. <laughs> and the Savage Hawkman, all starting with issue number nine. In a follow-up interview on comicbookresources.com that really needs to be read to to be appreciated, Lee Field took credit for the last 25 years' (laughs) worth of X-Men comics and compared himself to Kobe Bryant, the Kardashian family, LeBron James, Tim Tebow, Adam Sandler, Michael Bay, Tom Brady, and Paula Deen. I would argue you can't be both Tom Brady and Tim Tebow. You can't do it. Sorry. Because Tom Brady can't play football. Tim (laughs) Tebow cannot. (laughs) The artist, excuse me, the artist slash writer revealed that fans can look forward to a Deathstroke Lobo confrontation. Yay. The continuation of Grifter's secret war against the Demonites, but Yay. I guess where else do you go with that one? Right. And an examination of Hawkman's Thanagarian legacy. When asked which writers would be fleshing out his plots for Grifter and Hawkman, Liefeld made it clear, saying that, quote, I may or may not apply the final script, but the artist is drawing my story. All of this before the dead body of his last series, Hawk and Dove, even had a chance to cool down. Joe, what do you think about these fantastic, <laughs> roughly held, life held developments? I am normally the first one to say, you know, let's not jump on the Rob Liefeld hate train. Uh, he's a really nice guy and his work's not for me, but dot, dot, dot. But this interview was bananas. I would describe this as boffo. It's boffo. <laughs> boffo. Bonkers, even. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And Kobe this, Bryant and LeBron and Tim Tebow. And, like, what are you doing? Is he trying to get people to throw rotten fruit at him? <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I, addressing the issue at hand, uh, they have DC has made it so much easier for me to completely cut ties with Deathstroke, Crypter, and oh, yeah. Hawkman. No problem there. Uh, because I was already not that interested in them, and now I'm definitely not interested in them. And it's not because I don't like Liefeld. I think in certain cases, there's a charm to his work, and he's enthusiastic, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to read these books. <sighs> Try not to be unfair and pile on. Look, But when you come on, when you go on record saying crap like this, talking your stuff up, and, and I mean, and I follow the guy on Twitter, and all he does is toot his own horn 
constantly. Maybe he has to do that. Maybe the highs are so high for Rob <laughs> that the lows are just like Look, almost inescapable. I don't know. I'll say one thing but for the man. But this is nuts, and you're right. I don't care about his storytelling anymore. I don't think it's relevant or it really works anymore. This I'll, doesn't excite me at all. I'll say one thing for the man. He's got a healthy self-image. <laughs> And finally, in a bizarre follow-up to one of our past big news items, Archie Comics director and co-CEO Nancy Silberkleit is being sued by her fellow co-CEO Jonathan Goldwater. Goldwater's suit accuses Silberkleit of violating a previous court order banning her from the Archie offices for bullying employees and liberal use of the word penis when referring to male co-workers. I believe this was the story that started the penis reign on our show. <laughs> yes, it's true. The lawsuit also claims that Silver Clyte gave an independent producer permission to produce a Broadway play based on the Archie characters that could prove harmful to the Archie brand. What? Well, because she negotiated what to give him... do? No, she negotiated to give him, like editorial control over the play oh so if he wanted to make archie a rapist he could (laughs) that's exactly where i was gonna go with it (laughs) goldwater's suit states quote unless silver is removed as a director and an officer the company an iconic american company is in serious danger of failing and being liquidated wow ironically on the same day news of the lawsuit broke in the new york time and the new york daily news silver announced the Strides to Stop Bullying essay event benefiting the International Bullying Prevention Association. So she's just... Back to you, Matt. She's just <laughs> bat shit crazy in a nutshell, basically. <laughs> this is... And is there a better place that this could be happening than Archie Comics? Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> it, really? Look, and I'm... The woman running around shouting the word penis and tell <laughs> one report says she told a... She commanded a uh, an employee to take his pants down. <laughs> Like what the hell? <laughs> and the other the other officers officers at Archie are like, oh my god, we can't like fire her. She's the boss. She's like a partner. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where Joe Patrick and I have been bullying our penises for years now, <laughs> and no essay in the world is gonna make us stop. Before we move along to review time, Joe, read us a tweet from one of our sexy, sexy listeners. Well, our first sexy tweet comes from John at the Burnt Wieners podcast. Read it in a sexy voice. Who, who... Yeah, Burnt Wieners, yeah. I will not. John tweeted earlier today, can't wait to hear episode 700 of the Two-Headed Nerd podcast, uh, adding that he's... Contributing to the numbering controversy Marvel style. Well done, sir. <laughs> it just depends how you count them. That's yeah, all. Uh-huh. Joe Patrick can't seem to figure it With out. With numbers helps. <laughs> and that brings us to review time. And as always, Matt and I had a drier survival challenge in which we saw who could survive the most revolutions in a running dryer. And Matt's ironclad stomach and astronaut-like disregard for G-forces prevailed. So he gets to go first. My brother and I actually did this when we were younger. It explains so much. I read Profit number 1 from Image Comics, written by Brandon Graham, with art by Simon Roy. First, before we get into it, a brief history of Profit. (laughs) The year is 1993. A disenfranchised Rob Liefeld is riding high in his success with titles like Youngblood and Brigade and Bloodstrike and Blood Wolves. 
It's still sore from losing his character Cable, the time-traveling mutant soldier that he created for Marvel in the pages of New Mutants. Liefeld creates another time-traveling soldier for his image imprint, Extreme. Profit! Just like Cable, he travels time, has swords and a nondescript futuristic guns and bandoliers and all the pouches that any time-traveling soldier could ever need. But unlike Cable, John Prophet seems to be fighting a battle with no end in a comic with no plot. And he quotes the book of Revelation a lot. Oh, boy. If you didn't read Prophet back in the day, you did not miss much, except for perhaps the amazing art of Mr. Stephen Platt, who does not draw enough comics. I loved that guy. I loved his Moon Knight. I want to know where the hell he went. And... You don't need to read any of it if you want to pick up this issue because you will not be lost here. Prophet was a mess at best <laughs> back in the day. Now, Liefeld wrote the book, didn't draw it. I believe Dan Panosian was drawing it at the time and before Stephen Platt took it over. That was a hate extreme in its heyday back then. But this is not the bulky, ridiculous, macho character that Liefeld created. This is something more like Mobius's work for heavy metal. This is a psychedelic story of a time-traveling soldier in the far, far future with a mission that he has missed. He woke up way later than he's supposed to. And there's a great, like, the first scene in this book really sets it up where you have this really strange-looking alien creature that looks like it's straight out of the mind of, like, Jeff Darrow. And this pod bursts out of the ground with John Prophet in it, and he flops out onto the earth and just vomits, like, pukes his guts out and pukes out this little pod thing with his mission in it that immediately programs his brain mm-hmm. and sets him on his way. The art here is amazing. Simon Roy does a really fantastic job making the future Earth look perfectly alien and inhabited by these terrifying and bizarre creatures. So like some of the like I said, some of the creature work totally reminded me of Jeff Darrow and I think a lot of the paneling did as well and that might be why I liked it. He doesn't overdraw anything. Actually, he walks his perfect line of not over or under drawing anything. His art isn't flashy, but he does have a lot of style, and it works really well for this story. I like the redesign on the Prophet character. Before, he had giant shoulder pads and this ridiculous mane of pharaoh-like hair. (laughs) And in this one, he looks like a disheveled astronaut, basically. He's still a big guy. But he's more slimmed down, and most of his weapons and stuff are organs in his body and implants and stuff like that. Graham's storytelling is perfectly paced here as well. Essentially, the reader is flung into the future along with John Prophet, but I never really felt lost. I felt like I was discovering this area with the character, but the character himself, I think he has like maybe four lines in this book. He's very quiet, and Graham does a great job of letting you watch the character learn about his surroundings, like killing certain alien animals. I keep saying alien, but they are on the planet Earth. Killing these futuristic, weird mutant animals and finding out which ones he can and can't eat and like living in this gelatinous city alongside this gelatinous race in the corpse of a giant dead spaceship where he wears like a piece of one of the dead creatures on his head because they only sense by smell so they can't tell <laughs> he's a human being. This was totally bizarre, and it, it really reminded me of some of the 80s heavy metal stuff that I, wrote back in the, I read back in the day that I didn't get at all, but I knew was cool, like on a different level. This was sci-fi comic book storytelling that I have not seen in a very long time, and it felt fresh, 
and it felt interesting. This excited me the same way like Jeff Darrow's Shaolin Cowboy excited me, where there was just nothing else like this on the stands. I'm really excited for where this one is going to go, and I never thought I would give a crap about this character again. <laughs> but it was just so bizarre. It caught me off guard. I'm giving this one a giant buy it. I loved it. See, and I thought it was okay. I It didn't hook me. I like sci-fi quite a bit, but I get a little bit lost. My eyes glaze over a bit when we're talking about things that are so alien that there's no context. Like, it's hard to have a, a context to grab onto. Grap. To grasp onto. <laughs> to, to grab with. I don't give a grab. Uh, it, but it was it was well done. Uh, Brandon Graham is a good writer. I was a fan of his uh, King City. Yeah. Um, great stuff. I would have kind of liked to have seen him draw this book, but I like Roy's art as well. Uh, and his wordplay is really good. You know, he makes a comment about how uh, one of the guys that attacks him has live ammo. Yeah. And it's actually, it is like a living Yeah, it thing. is living ammunition. <laughs> he, did, he did a really good job laying out all of his gadgets and stuff, too, and like labeling them. Sure. And telling us what they were and everything. Absolutely. I, uh, man, I, I had a lot of fun with this Like one. I said, it wasn't, it's not that it wasn't well done, and it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. It's just I don't have the same kind of affinity for this type of story that you do it is a very visceral kind of sci-fi like it's right it's gross it really yeah, is yeah it's not sleek spaceships <laughs> and like this is like he mates with the some alien <laughs> that, that was actually my favorite part of the book is yeah. where he meets with his contact in in one of the one of the cities and it's this weird like slug looking thing oh like and, before uh, I give you your mission, yes, mate with me. But first, <laughs> mate with me, human, and he or it unclasps its cloak and it's disrobes. Yeah, and there's a shot from behind the alien, and all you can see is that its legs are spread wide open, <laughs> and Prophet is recoiling in horror. <laughs> uh, that made me laugh quite a bit. Uh, but you know, like I was saying. I just don't have the same connection to this type of story. I'm giving it a skim it, but that's only because, you know, it might not be for everybody. It is well done. It's well told and it's got great art, but you might want to take a look at this one first before you commit to buy it. As far as a new take on the character though. Oh, sure. Pretty, pretty damn good. And actually I will say it's done its job and I think I will be trying most of the other extreme. I won't, you know, bother with the young blood, but, uh, what if you love it? I won't. <laughs> but I'll try the other extreme books. So good job, Prophet. Joe, tell the kids what you read this week. Uh, I broke the rules a little bit this week. We try to keep our main reviews to either first issues of a comic or storyline or final issues. Don't you mean I force you to do that? You try to force me and I choose to abide. <laughs> oh, is that what? Uh, so when you those tears, are you choosing? I, yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> Uh, but this week, for me, there was no other comic that hit me as hard as Batman number 5, written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo and Jonathan Glapian. Uh, and this one is colored by FCO. And I wonder if that's... I think it's a company? FCO Placentia that inks uh, the image books. Yeah, it's got to be, right? Uh, unless there's two FCO... Unless FCO... I don't know if FCO is a company or a dude or what. There's two Placentias running around? I don't know. Here's the solicit for the book, which I'll be reading to the best my memory will allow, in the style of the uh, narrator from Batman, the 60s TV show. <clears throat> Deep beneath Gotham City lies the Court of Owls' deadliest trap, and Batman has fallen right into it. 
Can he escape? Or will he perish in a maze of nightmare? Enter the labyrinth, Batman! If you dare! Is, is that more Ted Knight? Uh, Superman? That was kind of more Ted Knight. But it was fine. Meanwhile! Back at Stately Wayne Manor! <laughs> So the issue opens with the first half of what ends up being a framing scene that tells the reader that Batman has been missing for more than a week. So since the end of the last issue, Batman has been trapped in this maze for like eight days. And he's just kind of slowly disintegrating. (laughs) Um, But before the story, before I got into the story, the first thing that caught my eye was the coloring. Uh, FCO does an amazing job setting the mood using just a very limited palette of light and dark colors. Uh, there's bright whites and dark, you know, simulated shadow colors. Has he colored the last four? You know, I'd have to go back and look. Has he slash they colored the last four? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, there are splashes of more vibrant color from time to time, but whenever you see a brighter color in the story, it's something bad. And so it really adds an unsettling vibe to a comic that's already pretty creepy. Capullo's art is very strong in this issue. I feel it's a little stronger than it has been in the last couple. Uh, The artist is able to kind of visually convey Batman's descent into madness uh, using just a single eye where his cowl is torn away. So you've got regular-looking Batman, and he's certainly very haggard, uh, but then he's got this one bug eye <laughs> because his cowl is missing. Placentia has colored one through four. Oh, okay. One through five. Thank you, internet. With that eye, it's able to really speak volumes without any dialogue because mainly the issue is just Batman wandering around this maze, um, presumably alone, even though he may or may not be being watched or dun, dun, dun. there might be somebody there or it might be somebody in his, in his mind. You don't really know. The real draw, though, aside from the art and the coloring, is, of course, the storytelling. We talked about it on the Golden Beppo show. Scott Snyder is just a master, and he has masterfully chronicled Batman's descent into madness. And he shows how the Court of Owls has Batman at their mercy, for now, obviously, uh, even as Batman himself refuses to believe it. So he's wandering around this maze going, you think you got me. You think you got me, but I'll show you. You think you've been here since before me? Well, this is my city. Uh, And it's just so great. It's so great. The story and art just mesh together so seamlessly, and it hits the kind of climax when the reader is forced to literally follow Batman's uh, metaphorical downward spiral into insanity as they're directed to turn the comic in their hands clockwise as they read it. You you hold the comic and you are forced to actually spin the thing in your hands to track what's going on. And it really, really adds to the creepiness and the awkwardness and the the kind of jangled nerves that Batman must be feeling. It is just a wonderful use of the medium and a great example of the feats of storytelling that comics are capable of when they are created by masters of the craft and Snyder with Capullo have has proven that they are masters of the craft. Now the climax comes from a moment of quiet violence that would have me seriously concerned for the character if we weren't talking about, you know, Batman, he's iconic, he's not obviously not going to die. But then they follow it up with the last scene of the framing sequence and that's fine. 
Uh, but I feel it took a little away from the cliffhanger on the previous page. And I would have preferred it if the comic had ended one page earlier with no dialogue, no sound effects, no to-be-continued blurb, just the scene as it is, completely silent, and then that's it. If they had ended it right there, I would have put that comic down just speechless. Even so, this is without question, and I'm saying it, I'm making a declaration. Uh Uh-oh. This is one of the best comic books I have ever read. Wow. Yeah, it is. Wow. And it's definitely the best issue of the series since the relaunch. Batman number five gets the highest. If there was a rating above by it, I would I would gladly grant it. See, I thought it kind of sucked. You did I'm not! just kidding. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm behind. I can't say anything about it because I haven't read it yet. I uh, just have to read number four. Man. So that is a buy it slash skim it for profit number one and a loan buy it for Batman number five because I haven't read it yet. Of course, we want to know what you thought of these comics, so hit us up on our Facebook page and let us know how idiotic and ridiculous our opinions really are. Now it's time to focus our chi and enter the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where placing the fifth ring of Ragador on our... Ragador. On our middle finger. Yeah, buddy. I should have read this first. You should always read what I write first. <laughs> well, give us the future sight to discuss two of next week's comics. Matt, what does the gift of Ragador's wisdom show you? Next week, I'm excited for Secret Adventures 21.1 by Rick Remender with art by the astonishing Patrick Zercher. I love this guy. I'm hoping Rick Remender can breathe some new life into a book that Warren Ellis did a really nice job on but really didn't take the series anywhere new. They need to decide what's going to happen with Secret Avengers, and I'm hoping Reminder is the guy to do it. Joey, what are you excited for? Once again, I find myself strangely intrigued by the world of the Autobots. My pick for next week is Transformers Robots in Disguise. I was going to pick this one. You took it right out from under me. (laughs) Ha ha. Robots in Disguise number one by John Barber, Andrew Griffith, and Marcelo Materi. This follows Bumblebee's group of Autobots as they remain on Cybertron and try to... Team Bumblebee. Team Bumblebee. (laughs) And try to make a new life on Cybertron in a post-Decepticon War world. This issue is written by... It's a whole new different creative team. It's true, but... You'll recall I was very excited. So was I. About the previous entries into this story, and uh, I'm hoping this follows suit. So that's our picks for next week. Of course, we want to know what you guys are reading. Be sure and stop by our Facebook page and let us nerds know. It's time to put on your safety goggles, nerds, because when DJ and I turn our key simultaneously, the THN Super Collider will hum to life, at which point we'll step into the launch zone and in a flash of science too complicated for your simple brains, we'll be hurled at almost one-tenth the speed of light around a quarter-mile tunnel on a collision course with each other while we review ten comics in this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Daredevil number eight! This is the second part of the Daredevil Spidey Black Cat. Threesome! Threesome, I guess for lack of a better term. I still can't get over Spidey being with anyone but Mary Jane, but I guess there's a love triangle here. Uh, This is so good and so much fun, and Mark Wade is absolutely blowing this up. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Birds of Prey, number five. I think this is the sleeper 
hit of the new 52, I love Birds of Prey. Dwayne Swarzynski is telling a really great story with a really creepy group of villains that are wiping memories and are invisible, and it's just really messing with and people. And the heroines aren't all great either. No, so I just it's gnarly. really fun. I love it. Great art. Buy it. Lord of the Jungle, number one. This is the story of Tarzan that is not called Tarzan. I really liked the first issue. It was fun, man. It was really well written. I love this character, and I want to read a good Tarzan comic, and this looks like it's going to be it, not to mention Smoke and Sexy cover by Alex Ross. Buy it. Invincible Iron Man 512. Math Fraction, I just can't quit you. I know. I don't know. It's so good. <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. I, every time I think I'm getting sick of this book, I go, nope, it's great. God damn it. <laughs> I, want, I am kind of sick of it, wow. but... I am really, I am really compelled by the current storyline. Uh, I am tired of Salvador La Roca. I think I am too. Sorry. Time for him to go. Uh, still, it was a good issue. Buy it. Steed and Mrs. Peel, number one. This was uh, Grant Morrison's take on the event, the two characters from the old Avengers TV series. It was just as prim and proper and British and totally bizarre as I recall the <laughs> Avengers series being. If you're into the Avengers, buy it. If you're Matt Bomb, leave it. <laughs> Avenging Spidey, number three. Uh, the conclusion of the first arc of uh, the new Marvel team-up, and I have to say, I loved it. Joe Madureira's arc so was really great. The story was fun. Yes, it's very slight. It's very silly. But I just, it was loaded with charm. Uh, buy it. Kirby Genesis, Dragon's Bane, number one. This is officially the last of the Kirby Genesis one-shots I'll be reading. Uh, Dragon's Bane, as far as I can tell, is a basically Thor clone who lives in a bunch of Asgardians who wear really funny hats. This was some of the... It's what I hate about Thor comics when they just get so wordy that you get tired reading it. Leave it. Voltron, number two. I read Voltron, number two, to see if my enjoyment of Voltron, number one, was a fluke. And it wasn't! I know, this it was comic good. was awesome! It was really good! Uh, I do think it's hilarious that the kid's name is Zach Zarkon, but uh, other than that, I had a ton of fun with this issue. Buy it! Uncanny X-Force number 20. <sighs> Man, this is so far into my wheelhouse, I don't even know what to say. I, I was Britain, talking about prim and proper and bizarre British. Core. I, I love Captain Britain. Ah. Now, I don't recall when Merlin put the core back together, but I do remember everything else. It's Saturnin and Jamie Braddock and all this stuff. Oh, I love it. And they start teasing me with returning Betsy to her old body. Oh, please, please get rid of Ninja Psylocke. <laughs> Buy it. Chew, 23. Uh, Chew is a wonderful comic, and every time it comes out, it brings a smile to my face. The story... By the way, best cover of the week, hands down. The <laughs> yeah. big league chew with the dead baseball player. Awesome. The, the story is hilarious. The art is beautiful. And it's packed full of like background Easter eggs and stuff. This is, If you're not reading Chew, get on it. The trades are all in print. Buy it. Stash! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Stash! It's a sound made by the gorilla that kills Tarzan's dad, spoiler alert, leaping out of the underbrush. And now you know. When you hear the Curtis Mayfield bumping, that means the comic pushers can't be far behind, and they're looking to make little addicts of you, your kids, they'll even hook up your moms. This week, Michael writes the pushers via email, I agree with you about a lot of the best series out there today, but can you please explain to me why you think Daredevil is so good? Hold I, on, hold on. Why is Daredevil so good? <laughs> I read the first four issues and found them typical. The opening sequence in number one where Daredevil fights the spot for no good reason is an example of the kind of scenes I just don't need in my superhero comics anymore, and it turned me off right away. Joe? 
Well, here is a paraphrase from the response I sent to Michael. For me, Mark Wade's Daredevil is the perfect distillation of everything that is wonderful about superhero comics. I find that it harkens back to a day where the characters that lived in a shared universe could run into each other without making it a major event. And of course, that's speaking specifically of Daredevil's run-ins with the spot, Captain America and Claw in the first few issues. It is true that the confrontation with Spot didn't serve any ongoing plot, but it did serve as a tool to introduce us in a new way to the way Daredevil sees. Yeah, I would. Uh, not only that, more importantly, I think what it did was it was Mark Wade setting a tone instantly. Yes, for his run, this absolutely. is not going to be the Brian Michael Bendis, Ed Brubaker daredevil where we see his life constantly torn down by these beyond evil scary bad guys that aren't just trying to beat up daredevil but destroy his whole life in this one panel and i agree it's silly and it's superhero and it's totally throwaway but in these few panels where he's fighting the spot we see daredevil returning to his roots right i i really appreciate the way ways daredevil strikes out in a different direction uh, from the most recent runs by Bendis, Brubaker, and Andy Diggle, but it doesn't sever the ties to those stories. No, not at all. Matt Murdock has clearly been deeply affected by the events of the last several years, but he's consciously choosing to put that past behind him and move forward in a positive direction. But whether he's doing that in a healthy way is up for debate, and his best friend Foggy remarks about it, and I think that's part of the ongoing narrative is is Matt Murdock in denial. Right. Uh, it's, they're not just like, hey, new writer's on. He's a happy guy now. Right. Like Wade has been creative enough to step into a situation where Matt Murdock has essentially had his life ruined every month for the past seven years. Right. right. <laughs> More or less. And so you've got all of that and it's wrapped in just excellent dialogue from Wade and some of just the most beautiful artwork. And we should probably both say... Joe and I have read every issue of Daredevil for years now. So maybe coming into it the way we did, maybe it did take us back a little bit and to that, a Daredevil that we used to love and forgot about. Yes. And if you don't have that point of view, I can understand how that might seem a little silly to you. But I think you've got to give him credit where that first storyline ended up. Like where we went with it. It wasn't just, I mean, it's no longer just Daredevil smacking people and kicking them in the mouth. There's some really good storytelling going on here. And it's not to take away from the stories of the past. I loved those books. I loved Bendis's run. I loved Brubaker's run. This is just such a, it's a breath of fresh air after a long time going in the same not the same direction. That sounds bad. Not but with, with a similar tone. But, I mean, like, there was only one place to go with that tone, and it ended with Andy Diggle's story of Daredevil being possessed by a demon and murdering people. Right. So, aside from him being, you know, fleeing from justice and never returning, I don't know where else you go right. but here to have an effective Daredevil story. He, I love... He hit the bottom, and yeah. he's crawled his way to the top. And I think if you look at it from that point of view, and stick with it, really, I, I challenge you to go, Michael... To go and read, we're up to issue eight now. Eight. Read the first eight issues, read the first seven, and then pick up Amazing Spider-Man if you can find it and read eight. <laughs> read the first seven, give it another look, and I have a feeling, with this kind of point of view, I think you'd really enjoy it. 
Thanks for the email, Michael. And if you need some suggestions from the comic pushers, send us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Tell us what you're into, and we will give you a comic book that you just gots to be reading. Joe, before we move on, read us a tweet. Uh, Brian, a.k.a. Geek Lantern, uh, followed up on Burnt Wiener, Burnt Wiener's uh, numbering tweet and said, you forgot to carry the remainder. It's episode 700.1. Booyah. Booyah. <laughs> Wouldn't we need to establish new hosts at that point? <laughs> I feel like new hosts would have to come in and change the direction of the show. Maybe. <laughs> sort, of, sort of break it, break it down like down this. Down. That is it for the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast this week. Episode 50! The episode that inspired my new punk band, The Penis Bullies. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to this show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a star rating or even a super-duper little written review. It only takes a couple seconds. Super-duper. Huge thanks to this week's donor and quite the ladies' man. Ladies' man. Eric. And if, if you'd like to keep us in the chips, you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can beg for reading suggestions from the comic pushers, or try and stump Joe Patrick during Ask a Nerd, and send in your submissions for the Two-Headed Nerd mascot competition, which is still going on. We need 50 more. Okay? It's not about to ask for. We have two. We need 50 more. Come on, guys. <laughs> and if that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page. We can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, be brutally honest, nerds. What do you guys think of the new DC Entertainment logo? Release the hounds, haters. Oh, Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Foreign Matter, who has faithfully mentioned us on Follow Friday on Twitter for several weeks in a row without any reciprocation. I have tried to reciprocate. I'm just really bad at remembering. Word to you, Foreign Matter, and be sure to check out his webcomic at foreignmattercomic.com. Until next time, true believers. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Casey Bob, hit the shower! Hey, listen, nerds. This is Matt's wife, Casey Vaughn, inviting you to a very special evening with the Two-Headed Nerd. On Friday, February 3rd, myself and loyal listen nerd Jim Heavey will be throwing a Two-Headed Nerd one-year anniversary party woo-hoo, at Legend Coffee on 5207 Leavenworth Street in Omaha, Nebraska. The party starts at 9.30 p.m. and will feature nerdy tunes, a special Two-Headed Nerd cocktail, and other beverages, snacks, possibly cupcakes, and a special live Q&A with the Two-Headed Nerds themselves, Joe and Matt. Come help celebrate one year of Joe and Matt slaving over a show that doesn't make them any money. Friday, February 3rd at Legend Coffee. And watch for more info on the Two-Headed Nerd Facebook page. Hulk Hogan here, wishing you a very happy Hulkamania birthday. Stay young, my brother. What you gonna do?